Welcome to New Life, everybody. Glad to have you guys here today. I hope you're excited to be at New Life. Yeah, I know I am. I'm excited to be here today. I look forward to meeting with you guys. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased, and if you're here from another church, please don't take this the wrong way, but uh, I think we got the best church on the planet. So, um, and you know what I hope? I hope that if you're visiting with us and you're from another community, another church, I hope you feel the same way about yours, all right? And if you're looking for a church where people are like, man, we love our church and we love each other and we're, we don't claim to be perfect, but we're just in, uh, we're in this thing called life together and we're trying to become all God wants us to be, well, then you found the right place. So I'm just one of the pastors on staff here. Yeah, my, my role might be the lead pastor, but I'm just one of them. And without the rest of our team, we're not getting anything done. And I think this past weekend was a great example of what a team can do because our team is the one who pulled it off. I might have found it in a coffee shop while I was working out in North Platte at Starbucks. That brings back great memories, by the way. Um, But, however, they're the ones that pulled it off. And would you please just like, would you just give a round of applause for our staff? They're great. They are great. Some of them are down in the, the venue right now. I know that's where, that's where Dean hangs out, and Dean was a massive part of pulling that whole thing off. And so, man, a big, big shout out to him and all the guests that are worshiping with us down in the venue right now. Uh, God's doing great things down there, and I know that that place is probably packed out right now. Um, I also, uh, you know, for Roger, Roger just did an, a tremendous job, a lot of work. Roger's here with us in our main auditorium, and he just knocked the ball out of the park with helping us make that big event happen. And then another big uh, hello out to Dave, who's out in our North Platte. Dave and Tiffany are our North Platte campus pastors. They brought, now look, and listen to this. I know, I'm a, you got to cheer for them, right? Right. Yeah, and I cheer for them all the time because they're related to me. Tiffany's my daughter. You know, they, they have one of our beautiful grandsons, Milo, so we love them. We've got some people from North Platte here with us, actually. Um, they decided to hang out in Kearney and stick around, so glad to have you guys with us. Um, but I do want to say hello to all of the guests that are wor- worshiping with us out in North Platte. Uh, listen, they're, they're averaging in North Platte right now 114 people every week, okay? That's an average, all right? That's awesome. And I believe, uh, Eric, if you can help me with that, uh, but I believe it was about 38 people from North Platte. Is that about right? Am I close to that? So about 38 people. So of 114, 38 people came. That's great percentages. I mean, that is, that's incredible. So I love that. I love it. So today we're going to continue our teaching series called Essentials. Okay? Uh, how many of you guys are reading with us the Bible readings of Essentials? All right. Good. Good. Not enough hands. Not enough hands. There was a lot of hands, all right? But you can still jump in and be a part of this campaign that we've got going on for the first 20 weeks of the year. And I want you to because it's going to benefit you. It's going to grow you. It has the potential to literally transform you. Yeah. At the end of the 20 weeks, you won't be the same person. But that's the kind of stuff God does in our hearts when we commit ourselves to him. And he's right there going, I've got so many things I want to do in your life. So this Essentials, it's called, this Essentials teaching series, is going to have you read through the top 100 stories of the Bible. We've got the books that are out there. You can get them for $8. It'll give you each of the day's readings. And then what we're doing is we're preaching first, and then you guys are reading next. Now, some of your life groups have kind of picked up on that, and you're reading ahead. And that's fine, too, as well. But we're going to give you the top 100 stories of the Bible, and we're going to preach 20 of those. Uh, over these next few weeks. So we're on a campaign together. 
We're going after it. Today, I'm going to be using Genesis again. Uh, That's kind of where we're reading at. We're going to be looking specifically at Genesis chapter 42, and I'll get into that here in just a moment. But today, what we're wanting to do is kind of look at the deeper reality. We're wanting to kind of look at what's beyond the surface of our lives. And a lot of things in our world, they, they look one way, but they're really something different. All right, now, let's start out with something extremely shallow. How many of you guys have watched any of the movies called Transformers? Any of them? All right. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting? Every time in church, whenever I ask things like that, like, how many of you guys, you know, have watched a movie about this or watched a movie about you got You find people that kind of slowly put their hand up. Not a lot of noise. A couple of junior hires are over here like, that's my world. All right. So, yeah, but Transformers. And then they look one way. They look like a big truck or a really sweet car, you know, Camaro, yellow, with some racing stripes down it. But then they transform into these, like, intelligent robots of some, I don't even know what they're called. Autobots? Is that the name? Okay. What? what? From Cybertron. They're from Cybertron. (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted to let you guys know. If you want to know more, evidently you're going to have to talk to our junior high youth pastor, Ed. All right. He's got all the lowdown on all of it. So if you're really like highly intrigued and you're not going to listen to anything else I say, then you're going to probably want to talk to him. Okay? And he'll give you the lowdown. But they look like these sweet cars driving down the road and then they transform into something completely different. So you think it's one thing, it becomes another. Well, let's, let's bring it home. All right? How many of you guys, now seriously, this time there's just no, none of this like, uh, I think so. This time, I really want to hear you if you're passionate about this issue, okay? How many of you guys like chocolate? Yeah, good. And there's probably like at least a handful of you like, I used to yesterday, but I went on a diet today. All right, so I apologize for you. But you like chocolate? I mean, this looks amazing, right? Amazing chocolate, except for the fact, look right up here in the top corner, and you'll see that it's actually chocolate-covered crickets. So, um, see, it can really look good, right? It can look good, but when you bite into it, you find out it's something completely different. I don't care what you do to a cricket, you know. Wrap it in gold, it's still a cricket, all right? So I don't want to eat a cricket, right? But what if I gave you this? How many of you guys would love to have that right there? What is that? Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight, traveling money, right. My grandfather would call that some walking around cash, all right? So you guys would like to have that, right? It would be awesome, but what if it's counterfeit? So everything, there's a lot of things, I should say, in this world that have one appearance, but they're actually something else. And you know, a lot of times, we as people, we try to do that too. We try to put masks on. We try to present ourselves, in our culture especially. You know, we want, to become, we want to come across successful. We want to come across, sometimes as guys, tough. You know, women, we want to come across that we got it all put together. You know, we, we like independence. We like individualism. Um, we, we love those kinds of things. But you can only cover up the real you for so long. You know, have you ever dealt with someone that's more passive-aggressive? Right? And you're working with them, and they're giving you the green light. Green light, green light, green light, green light. And then all of a sudden, you get smacked on the forehead with a baseball bat. You're like, I thought we were together on this. I thought we were going the same. You loved it. You liked it. You even said great things about it. And now I'm missing my head. You bit it off. You know, you cut it off. Right. So it's not, when we try to be someone we're not, then we can cause some serious, some serious damage. 
There's also people that, you know, have been criminals and had warrants and, you know, they move from one part of the country to another trying to avoid it all. They get connected to a community. They get a job. They get plugged in. You know, a few months goes by and then all of a sudden what happens? The real them comes out. And you find out and you're like, what in the world? I had no idea that's who you were. Right, because it continues to follow you. Or I don't know if you read about this, but I was reading in, in the USA Today um, a few weeks ago about a woman who was pretending to be a lawyer. Did you, did you guys read that story? This woman was pretending to be a lawyer out in Utah using someone else's name and their, and their identity completely. She's taking on cases. I mean... How, how bold do you have to be or how stupid do you have to be? Maybe that's a better word. That you're going into the, the court of law, standing before the judge, masquerading as someone that you're not. And at the end of the story, the punchline, which is true, that you know now she's having to defend herself, obviously. Because you, the truth comes out over time. You can only masquerade. You can only pretend to be something you're not for so long. But what happens when the church... And people that are called Christians create this environment called the church where people aren't comfortable to be themselves. What happens when they make the environment a place where you have to cover up and you have to pretend when you walk through the doors? What happens when the church becomes this plastic facade of something that's supposed to be powerful but it's powerless? What happens when Christians make this a non-safe place? We walk in the door right? And you have, to be, you have to force a smile. Yeah. Or it becomes a community where, you know, we walk in on Sundays just so that we can show to others once a week, I got my life, I got my life put together. I got my act put together. You know, when we do that, we're, we're not making our church the thing that God wants it to be. We're fighting against the very uh, character and the nature of God, the very purpose of why God put the church here on earth so that we can love one another, help each other find wholeness and health. We make it something that's a, that's a facade. We make it something that's plastic. Church isn't a place where you come just to put on your Sunday best so that you can cover up the rest. That's the kind of church that I remember as a kid. I remember as a kid, you put on your Sunday best. And there's nothing wrong with putting on your Sunday best. But I'm all too afraid that we put on our Sunday best just to cover up the rest. And it becomes this fake outside shell. There's one thing I know today as your pastor. In all of our venues, there are people today that are hurting. There are people today that are struggling. There are people today that are dealing with past guilt. People that are dealing with past wounds. There are people today that are literally going through hellish things. And you know what they're tempted to do? and they're doing it right now, and you know some of them, and they're sitting near you, is that they walk in, and they have to put on some fake mask. They have to pretend everything is okay. I'm telling you, that's not what God put the church here on earth for. So why do we naturally do this? Why do we go to this place? Well, that's what we're going to answer today as we look into Genesis chapter 42, and I help pull back the veil of a story of a powerful person that takes up a lot of Genesis, and his name is Joseph. Now, Joseph's story starts in verse, or excuse me, in chapter 37. I would highly encourage you to read Joseph, all right? Starts in chapter 37. 
Um, and it goes for a number of chapters. It is a wonderful story, a great thing. You're going to love reading it. I kind of want to help us uh, get back to our original point, but i got to start by giving you the kind of history of Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and his father is Jacob. Joseph is the second youngest. He has one younger brother, and that brother's name is Benjamin, right? Everyone say Benjamin. Benjamin. All right, you're going to need that. So you're going to want to hang on to that. Joseph, however, of all the 12 brothers, Joseph was, like, loved the most. He was loved the most. He had these 12 brothers, but these 12 brothers came from four different moms, Four different moms, and Joseph and Benjamin, as the youngest, had the same mom. So Benjamin, of all these brothers, right, of the 11 other brothers that he has, only one of them is a biological brother, and that's Benjamin. Now, Joseph, with all of these brothers, 12 of, you know, he's, there's 12 siblings, his father loves Joseph more than he loves anyone else. He shows Joseph some of the most, you know, uh, beneficial treatment. Um, he lets everyone know in public that Joseph is his favorite. In fact, he even goes as far as to giving Joseph this special coat. It's called the coat of many colors. This coat, though, here's the, here's the unique thing about it. Every time Joseph wears the coat, it just broadcasts to the brothers, I'm loved more than you. Every time he wears the coat, it's just broadcasting to them, hey, guess what? I get special treatment. Hey, guess what? Dad loves me more than he loves you. And all the time, can you imagine what starts stirring in the hearts of the brothers? Just yell out one word that's appropriate. Okay, jealousy, right. Anger, right. Hate, right. They, I mean, they despise him. And one day, the brothers are out taking care of the sheep. Joseph is going out to take care of some things. And the brothers see him while he's still a long ways off coming to him, coming to them. And in in the Bible, it says that literally as soon as they saw Joseph, their mind went immediately to, let's kill him. (laughs) That just gives you a little inside track into how they really felt about each other. That the moment that they saw him, their first instinct was, let's plot a way that we can kill him. Now, the oldest brother of all the 12, Reuben, he comes, right, and he finds out they're going to kill Joseph. And he goes, no way. Uh Uh-uh, time out. You're not going there. So they find this cistern or this well, and it's dry. They throw Joseph in there. They take off his coat first. Then, and then guess what the Bible says? The Bible says these guys just went kind of all about their day. They ate a meal. Can you imagine that? Well, we're just going to go over here. We're going to eat a meal. We just threw our brother down in this well, and he's yelling, let me out of here. And they're like, shut up, right? Let me out. And they're like, throw a rock on him. Let me out. Ow, that hurt. Throw another one on him. Right? And they're just, they're mocking him and they're leaving him there and they're wondering to themselves, what are we going to do? Because Reuben won't let us kill him. So we'll just leave him down this pit. We're just going to walk away and leave him there and he can't climb out. What's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, these traitors come by and one of them goes, ding, got a great idea. I know what we should do with him. Let's make some cash, right? And then we'll go into town. We'll hang out at the bar. We'll get ourselves a few drinks. It'll be awesome. That's what we're going to do on Joseph. And guess what they do? They sell Joseph, and Joseph is led away. Now, they take his special coat, and they trick their dad. They take some lamb's blood, and they pour it on the coat. They take it back to Jacob, and they tell Jacob that we found this while we were out doing our thing. Right? We found this while we were out working for you, Dad. Isn't this his coat? It looks a lot like his coat. I'm not really sure what his coat looks like, though, Dad. You know you bought it. Sure, Sure you don't. 
You dream about it at night with a knife jabbing through it. That's what you do, brothers. You know exactly what the coat looks like. And they poured this lamb's blood, and they convinced their dad that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. So now his dad deals with the pain of losing his son. All the while, Joseph is led off into Egypt where he stands on a slavery block and they bid for him and he's bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. Now Potiphar happens to work for one of the most influential and powerful people on the planet at the time. His title and his name that he goes by is Pharaoh. So you, I think that makes sense to you. I think that kind of a name helps you understand the power of that particular person at that time. And Potiphar works for him. So now Joseph is working for Potiphar, but Joseph goes through some very difficult times. He goes through some extremely challenging times. He gets accused of things that he never did. He gets thrown in jail. So he goes from a slave now to a criminal. He's in jail and he gets forgotten in jail. And, you know, some time goes by there. And then he's just kind of rotting away in jail. I mean, you've gone to the lowest of the low. It's not your country. You were a slave. Now you're a criminal. And it's from that state that God does something amazing. Pharaoh has this dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. All of a sudden, one of the guys who's working in the court of Pharaoh goes, Hey, I remember a guy. Last time I saw him, he was in jail. This was a little while ago. You know, a couple years or so. Uh, I wonder if he's still there. He knows how to interpret dreams. So what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh calls the lowest of the low, the criminal, pulls him into his court, tells him the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph says to him, your dream means exactly this. There's going to be next seven years are going to be plentiful. They're going to be amazing. And then you're going to flip the coin over, and there's going to be seven years of amazing famine. Pharaoh believes, Joseph, you're the only man who knows my dream. Guess what I'm going to do with you? No, I'm not going to make you just my, my dream teller. I'm going to take you from the lowest of the low, a criminal, and I'm going to put you in the second in command of all of Egypt. That's what God does. You see, one of the things that happened for Joseph that made his brothers equally mad at him was that Joseph had these dreams and visions. And part of the thing was Joseph sitting around a table was just as a teenager telling his brothers and his mom and his dad, I had a dream last night. You guys have got to hear it. It's amazing. I'm standing really tall, up, you know, like this, and all of you are like really little, and you're bowing down to me. <laughs> sure, Joseph. Sure you are. I think what's happened for you, Joseph, is you, you've let this whole dad loves you more than anyone else go to your head. And now Joseph is second in command, and for the first seven years, he organizes Egypt in such a way that they are able to store up so much grain. The Bible says that it's so much that Joseph doesn't even have the mathematic ability to keep track of how much he stores up in that seven years so that they can survive the next seven. Somewhere in the famine, maybe a year or two into the famine, is where we find chapter 42. At the beginning of chapter 42, Jacob is talking to his sons and he's saying to his sons, guys, we're starving here where we're at in Canaan. We, we've got to go down, go south Go down to Egypt. You guys like that? Go south to Egypt. There you go. For all you guys that were in the class, right? South to Egypt. Okay. So he went south to Egypt and go buy the grain. That's what I want you to do. Oh, but by the way, I'm only sending 10 of you. I know there's 11 sons still at home. I'm sending 10 of you because Benjamin's not going. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to lose him. So the brothers travel all the way down to Egypt 
And they get, they get there, and they have to get in front of the man who organizes the selling of the grain. Guess who that man is? It's Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, second in command. He's in charge of trading and selling the grain as one of his, one of his duties. So the brothers come, they bow down before Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them immediately. And Joseph basically goes into game on. He starts accusing them as being spies. He starts drilling at home. He gets defiant. You can almost see him in his throne, stand up and kind of pound his his staff into the ground and say to them, you guys are spies. All you're trying to do is come here and find our weaknesses out so that you can come back and attack us and take all of the grain. And the brothers are going, no, 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 that's not who we are. That's not who we are. And he just keeps drilling at home. He's relentless. He won't let up on this thing. You're spies. I should just kill you now. And the brothers, have you, I mean, can you imagine if someone's got like a knife to you or someone's got a gun to you, right? Can you imagine what, what you might try to do to get yourself out of that? I mean, one of the things would be, and you see this on TV all the time, and I think what you're seeing here is one of these classic scenarios. What they're trying to do is they're trying to connect with this commander, they don't know it's Joseph. They don't know it's their brother. They're trying to connect with him. And so they, they go into this storyline. They say, we're not spies, man. Don't kill us. We, we, come from a, we come from a family. Our father is Jacob. We have 12 brothers. There's 12 of us. The youngest stayed home with the father, and one of them has died. Now Joseph's going, okay, good. Got you right where I want you, right? You're telling me the story. You know, you know what the truth is. And he just keeps drilling it home, but you're spies. You know what? To prove it, I'm going to throw you in jail for three days. I don't have no idea what all is going to happen with that, but I'm putting you in jail until you can prove the fact you're not spies. And he sends them to their own pit. They're the ones who threw him in, in a pit. He puts them back in a pit for three days. And I just have to wonder to myself, since the Bible doesn't really say how long Joseph was in the pit, could it have been Joseph was in the pit for three days? Could it be? And he throws his own brothers into jail for three days? But then he brings them back out of jail, and they stand before him, and he goes, now here's the deal. This is the way it's going to work, and there isn't any argument about it. we got one plan here. If you want to prove that you're not spies, and I shouldn't kill you right now, then what you're going to do is you're going to leave one of your brothers here, and the rest, as collateral, the rest of you are going to leave. I've already packed up your grain for you. Go take care of your starving families. But what, I, what you have to do is you've got to bring back your youngest brother, right, which is his biological brother. You have to bring him back. And if you don't bring him back, I'm keeping Simeon, your other brother. And I might just kill him. So if you want to prove you're not spies, then go take care of it. Now, after all of that, the threats, the, uh, the attempt to maybe even you know, say to them, well, I'm going to kill you, being thrown in jail for three days, if you get that kind of opportunity and now you can walk free and clear with all the grain, what do you do? I mean, if you're these brothers, you already, you already sold one of your brothers off to slavery. You, you just leave that. Simeon, see you later. Have a good life. Um, hopefully the jails take good care of you. We're out of here, man. We're going to save our lives, right? We're going to take what the grain and we're going to run. But that's not what they do. And in 42, verse 21, it says this. Speaking among themselves in the court, Joseph is here. They're right out there where you are. And they're speaking. They say, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. I think one of the things that you've got to wrap your head around right now is you've got to listen to their guilt. Listen to their guilt. Listen even to their shame. 
that they're, they're speaking about at this very moment. Listen to the fear in their voice. Listen to the detail that they're able to recall. What you need to know about this verse is what's happening at this very moment. They sold Joseph off to slavery when he was 17 years old. And from very clear biblical um, you know, writings, we're able to know the age of Joseph. Joseph, um, in an approximate sense, Joseph is th- about 39 years old. 22 years later, 22 years later, here they are at this moment with this difficult thing happening. They don't know it's Joseph. 22 years later, what comes out of their mouth because they're facing such difficulty and their brother's been taken away from them? Clearly, not I think or maybe or possibly. Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. That should give you a real good picture of what guilt does. Guilt gets inside of our lives and you can't just get rid of it. There's nothing you can do on your own that just eradicates it. Time doesn't take it away. 22 years, it's as fresh as it was the day before. They're recalling the moment when they threw him in there. They're recalling the moment when they took the coat back to their father and they said to him, look at the blood on it, he's dead. They're recalling all of their misactions. They're recalling all of their sin. They're being reminded, not only did they offend God, but they offended Joseph as well. And all of that is there, and they they just can't get rid of it. Some of you that are listening to my voice today, you're dealing with guilt. Dealing with guilt from the actions of your past. And you've been hoping that just time would take care of it. I'm telling you today, time doesn't take care of it. It's just there, and you bury it, but yet it comes back up. It's like a bad, nasty weed. You put more dirt on it, and then poof, it pops through the top. And you put more dirt on it, and it pops through the top again. And just like these brothers, some of you that are listening to me, the guilt and the shame of your past, it dominates you. A name can be mentioned. A scenario can happen, and all of a sudden, it's fresh inside of you again. That's not the way God intended to leave you. Don't settle for something less than what God has for you. And I'm going to leave you right there for a moment. I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick you up. But some of you are dealing with that. And that's not what God has intended. And that's not where he wants to leave you. Go back to the story. What happens? One verse later, as the brothers are sharing their own guilt, Joseph can speak their language. They're speaking in their own language. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph knows their language. (laughs) He's understanding everything that they're saying. And as Joseph is hearing their cry of guilt and shame come out of their mouth, It says that he, being Joseph, he turned away from them and he began to, what? He began to weep. But then he turned back and he spoke to them again. What happens right here? What happens here is this brief, quick moment where Joseph pulls back the veil and he exposes for you and me that yes, although he's moved on in life, Although he's gone from a criminal all the way to the second in command of one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful um, country at the time, working for one of the most powerful men on the planet, he pulls back the veil and he shows you that even time doesn't heal wounds. We think time heals wounds. Sometimes wounds are so deep inside of us that all time does is cover them up. Joseph pulls it back, and he turns, and he weeps. His eyes fill with tears. Tears come down his face. He turns. He may have even convulsed, because that's what it means to weep. 
And he wipes them away quickly as they discuss. And he turns back and he has to get right back to the business of that moment. We tend to be like Joseph a lot. We try to suppress our past wounds. We try to hide them. We try to disguise them. We try to put a lot of barriers over the top of them. We try to wear a mask. But I'm telling you today, some of you that are listening to my voice, you're wounded from the past. You may have been wounded from a boss. You may have been wounded from a spouse. You may have been wounded by a parent. You may have been wounded by a close friend. And sad to say, some of you in this place today are even wounded and listening to my voice in the gym or down in North Platte. Some of you are wounded even from past spiritual leaders. That's not where God wants to leave you. Oh, you might have moved on, but the wound's still there. And if the wound is still there, it still has the power to control you. And our response today is going to be we're running to Jesus because Jesus is the one who knows how to heal the wounds of the past. Don't leave the mask on your life. Don't leave the mask on Take the mask off today. You're in a safe place. You're in a place where where believers come together in Jesus' name. He's here in the midst of them. Jesus is here to heal the wounds of the past. Take the mask off and let him get to that spot. Pull back the veil and let him put his hands in there and massage that out. I'll leave you there just for a second. Go back to the story. Joseph, he fills all of their bags with grain. He turns to the brothers and he goes, there's no argument about this. You're leaving and Simeon's staying here. I've already loaded up all your grain. Get out there. Go back to your dad. Make sure you show back up with your, with your younger brother or this whole deal is off. I might come and hunt you down. I might just kill your brother Simeon, but I don't know. But I'm just telling you, you better show back up with, with Benjamin or otherwise I'm just going to consider you spies. When the nine brothers left, they took off, and there was a long journey to get back, so they had to camp. And when they get to the first camp, and they, they light up the fire, and they're eating some things, one of the brothers goes over, and he opens up the bag, and he sees that there's grain, but he also sees that there's a satchel, a satchel full of silver. See, they had to buy this grain, and they had given the, they had given the silver away. And Joseph had the silver put back into the bags. Instantly, they, they're filled with fear. Instantly, they're overwhelmed, and they're like, oh, no, this is a setup. I guarantee you they didn't get much sleep that night. They were wondering to themselves, Pharaoh and his, his army, are they going to come and get us, and they're going to tell us now that we were thieves and we stole all this grain? What kind of a setup is this? Well, Joseph let them go. Isn't it interesting how he just blesses them? He gave them back their silver on purpose to bless them. They're the ones who wounded him. And I think what you're going to find is The ones who wounded him the most, his blessings are what's going to help him find the healing. Blessing the ones who wounded him the most is one of the ways Joseph is going to find some of his greatest healing. The brothers get back to their father, Jacob, and they tell Jacob the whole story. They tell him everything that's going on. They tell him about jail. They tell him about the silver. They tell him about the grain. You know, they tell him that he has to bring back his youngest son, Benjamin, or they're going to consider them to be spies, and who knows what's going to happen. And the Bible depicts this man who who you watch hope inside of him disintegrate in a moment. It just all falls apart. Everything that he hoped for just rattles apart at the seams. He is so frail, evidently, emotionally and spiritually at this moment, that this one message of, I'm going to have to bring Benjamin back, it just causes him to explode emotionally. And this is what he says. 
Check this out. In verse 36, and then we're going to jump to verse 38 because that's the continuation of, of Jacob. It says, Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my child, of my children. You're robbing me of my children. Now, who is he saying that to? Is he saying it to his sons? He's saying it to God. He turns to God and he's like, you're robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon now is in jail with Joseph. And now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. You ever find yourself in situations where you feel like everything is going against me? You ever find that moment where your life is like the balloon that got popped by the needle and is deflating and hope is escaping? You're, not, you're just wondering, is the bottom going to come soon because everything's falling apart? We're, we're all going to die, right? I mean, it's just going to all fall apart. Nothing, nothing can ever change again. Everything is against me. Take a look at what he continues to say. He says, my son will not go down with you from Canaan down to Egypt. Your brother Joseph is dead And he is all I have left. Talking about Benjamin. All I have left is Benjamin. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this. Look at how he defines himself. What word does he use? Grieving white-haired man to his grave. Everything about this moment just causes hopelessness in Jacob. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, there are people that are here today that you feel like Jacob. You got the punch to the solar plex. You had your legs knocked out from underneath you. You had your expectations for someone or something, and it's been shot, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're sitting there wondering to yourself, God, why did you do this to me? And hopelessness has invaded your mind. It's invaded your soul. You're at a place of worry, worry that you can barely get out of. Maybe you've drifted into depression. You've drifted into a place of hopelessness. And there's some of you that are here today, and guess how you had to walk in the door? You got out of your car, you closed the door, you put your mask on, and you walked in, and you're all smiles, and everyone asks you how you're doing, you're like, oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, everything's going well. Oh, yeah, what's, well, what's going on, you know, with that thing in your business? Oh, it's okay. Don't, it's it's going to all work out. It's all going to work out. And then you hop back in your car, and you go back home, and you throw the remote at the TV, and you're all ticked off, and you're upset, because what really is going on inside of you is you're full of hopelessness. And you came to the one place where you could find life, and you could find healing, but you put on the mask, and you walked back out, and you're the same as you walked in. That's not what God's intention is for this place, and it's not his intention for you. It's just not. So you might try to hide those things from me. You might try to hide them from a life group leader. You might try to hide your struggles and everything that you're dealing with and the guilt of your past and the wound of your past and the hopelessness that you might feel right now. You might try to hide that from people and you might do it for a long period of time. I'm guaranteeing you, you're not hiding it from God. And that leads us to essential truth number one today, which is God sees the real you. God sees the real you. God looks. He looks past your cover-up. He looks past your mask. He looks past your masquerading. And he sees the real you. He sees the pain. He sees the guilt. He sees the hopelessness. And guess what wells up in the heart of God? I want to heal that. That's what wells up in the heart of God. Look at, look at Psalms 147. It says that he, being God, he heals the what? The brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. That's who God is. That's what God wants to do in your life. You can trust God today with your guilt and shame. 
You can trust God today with your wounds of the past. You can trust God today with your moments where it just feels hopeless. You can trust him today because God is here to heal them. And God put his church right here at this very moment and these people at this very moment to help work some of that healing in you. We have other things, though. If you find yourself in any of these situations that we're talking about today, let me just give you a a, a brief glimpse into what we do on Wednesday nights. Here we have some things called insight classes. Those insight classes are going to meet you right where you're at, but they're going to love you so much they're not going to leave you there. And they're going to take you on a journey. You're going to want to get signed up for one of those if you find yourself in any of these situations today. Now, they're already started, but they'll do them again. You look for them, okay? There's other classes. We call them 33 Men's 33 class, those kinds of things. Those are wonderful and incredible classes that meet men right where they're at, but they love them so much they don't leave them there. And they help them walk out of hopelessness. They help them walk out of past guilt. They help them walk, you know, through difficult moments. We also have on Wednesday nights this thing called Grief Share. I'm just telling you, it's going to help people not get stuck in the grieving process, but move on from that Right and find health and wholeness and healing. And but there's reasons for that because God wants to do great things in you, but He also wants to do great things through you. I want to encourage you today. You need, like I need, get yourself plugged into church. Get yourself plugged into New Life. Whether you're down in the venue or you're in North Platte, get yourself plugged in. Don't be a person that just walks in the doors and walks right back out. Don't be the last one to walk in and the first one to walk out. That's not going to help you. Attending church is not the answer. Doing life with people that are the church, that's the answer. Doing life with people that are the church. Safe people. People that have proven the fact that they'll, they'll meet you where you're at, but they won't leave you there. So God, God sees the real you. But God also sees another side of the real you. This is, the, this is another part that God sees. He sees in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. God sees your sin as clear as the sun shines. God can see your sin. But God loves you and me so much that he's, he's willing to say, I don't want to leave you in that sin. I've, built a, I've designed a process for you to have a relationship with me. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 5. He said that, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Did you know that God sent Jesus to give his life on the cross, but when he saw you, he saw a sinner, and he sent Jesus anyways? When he saw you, he saw the sickness of your sin, and he went, I'm going to send Jesus regardless of that. I'm not going to wait for them to show me how perfect they can be. I'm going to send Jesus in in their broken state. Now, if God sees your sin, and God sees how broken you and me are, and he still chooses to send Jesus, then you can trust him with your worries, because he wants to heal those too. You can trust him with your guilt. He already knows about it. He sent Jesus. He can, he can heal you of that. You can trust him with your wounds. Because if while you were a sinner, he sent Jesus, I think you can take your wounds and give them to him. You might, not, you might have a hard time giving them to anybody else, but I'm telling you, you can give them to him. I guarantee you, most of the time, he's going to direct you to one person in his church or a group in his church. And he's going to say, if you really want to find health and wholeness, get connected to these people, and you're going to find a life that you've never had before. The second spiritual truth that we see, though, is that the church is a place for hurting people to heal. God gave the church to be a hospital, right? A hospital to the soul of humanity. 
Now, Satan, he's trying to turn it into a museum for the irrelevant. That's what happens when, that's what happens when you walk in with your Sunday best so that you can cover up the rest. That's when church turns into a museum for the irrelevant. But when you see it the way God sees it, which is a hospital for the, the soul of humanity and for the restoration of man to, to God through Christ that is preached and teached in moments just like this, now this place and these people that are here have life. Let's not become an institution that turns into a museum of irrelevancy by putting on our mask as we walk into this place and just become these stoic individuals that we really look good now in our 40s and we're going to look incredible in our 80s. I don't want a stale, dead place. That's not what God created the church for. He created it to give life and life to the fullest. God desires for your pain of guilt to be erased. God desires for the pain of your past wounds to be completely healed. God desires today to bring comfort even to the hopeless. Comfort to the hopeless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what he says about it. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of what? All comfort. Now look, look what he continues to say. He says he comforts us in all of our troubles. Look with, with me. So that we can comfort what? Others. Right. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Why is it important for you to bring your guilt to God today? Why is it important for you to bring your shame, to bring the wounds of your past, to bring your hopelessness that you're facing right now? Why is it so important? First off, because God wants to show you his amazing, powerful love. And he wants to heal you. Secondly, he wants you to show comfort to others. That's why it's so important today. We have to fight. We have to fight to make this a safe place. But we first have to fight to bring our brokenness to God. That's why we say all the time, the altars are for the hungry. That's why the time we're getting ready to move into is called our response time. It's our time to respond to God. And in just a moment, it's going to be your move. It's your move, man. You get to choose what you're going to do. You're going to hang on to your guilt, pain, and hopelessness, or you're going to lay it down and let God truly begin a healing process. Are you going to finally come to, the, come to your senses and confess and say, God, I've been carrying this stuff around for too long. The brothers carried it around for two decades. Let it go so that God can bring comfort to you so that you can in store bring comfort to others. That's where God has you. That's where God has me. At the end of the story with Joseph, his brothers do return. Benjamin comes. He gets to meet his, his brother. And in Genesis chapter 43, the very next one in verse 33, we find that when Joseph actually sees his brother Benjamin... He's so overwhelmed by it that he has to leave the room to weep. Completely overwhelmed. But as he continues to extend a hand and he continues to bless those that hurt him the most, guess what he gets back? The relationship with his father. His father comes and lives with him. And his brother's relationship is all restored. He allowed God to comfort him. And in store, he comforted his family, and he brought restoration to the whole thing. I'm telling you, that's what God wants to do in you and through you. 
It's your move now. It's your turn. You get to pull back the veil and let God see the real you and let him deal with it. Or you can walk right back out of these doors today after this service, the same person that you were when you walked in. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. God, you are faithful. You are loving. And you are in the business of transforming our lives. Lord, today, what you're looking for is for us to humbly come to you, lay down the guilt shame of our past so that you can heal it, so that we can help others lay down theirs. Lord, you're wanting us to come to you and lay down the wounds of our past instead of holding the grudge, instead of holding on to the pain and letting it kind of be like a fuel for us to, you know, not let others get close to us. And to lay that down and let you completely heal it and restore trust in others, restore faith in humanity, restore love between spouses, or restore relationship with a, with a former boss or whatever it is you want to do, God, however far you need to take that. But you want to do that in us so that we can help heal the wounds of others. Lastly, Lord, you're, you're wanting to come and comfort those that have recently discovered some moment where it seems hopeless. Like they got punched in the solar, solar plexus where they just got, life just ran them over. Lord, you're wanting to come along and comfort folks that are in that situation today so that we can, like an army, we can walk out of these doors and we can bring comfort to others. May that be May that be who New Life is in all of the communities that you plant these churches called New Life. May we be a life-giving church that's real, where we don't come just putting on our Sunday best so we can cover the rest, but we come to Sundays being the best so that we can love the best. May you use us in that manner. In Jesus' name, amen.